Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Liquidator, the strictly 100% unofficial fan-powered West Bromwich Albion podcast. This time, West Bromwich Albion nil. Some people suggesting that should be the new name for our football club, given our inability to score game after game after game. To discuss that and so much more besides, I don't know why I'm laughing, I'm joined by my regular co-host, the author of From Bazaglo to Ballis, Mr Chris Lepkowski. I'm putting a, putting a pretty good face on it really Chris all things considered well you have to don't you you either laugh or you cry right now I think yeah well watching the second half against Luton I have to say I was tempted to cry I was in a bit of a rage after the game some fans might be aware that we do a little liquidator live which is effectively like a radio phoning on Twitter spaces and if you want to listen to that just make sure you follow the liquidator p1 on Twitter. But I was raging, I was ranting, and I was frustrated because I thought in the first half against Luton, we had certainly one good chance to win the game when Carlin Grant hit the bar, was slow to react to the rebound, but then his control in front of goal was absolutely dreadful. I've mentioned before that a former Albion player has, has called him trampoline feet in my hearing, and that moment of lack of control summed it up. And Andy Carroll had had a couple of decent efforts in the first half as well, long range, but threatening. But in the second half... Luton came out, as you expected they would, as the home team, and gave it some. And once they scored, we absolutely wilted. It was shocking. It was shameful. And Steve Bruce has apologised to Albion fans after that. But what's he going to do to change it? I feel a little bit sorry for Steve Bruce. I know that his name is above the door now, and he'll be judged, and understandably he'll be judged. But he's learning a lot about these players very, very quickly, in the same way that so many of his predecessors learnt the hard way that these are the kind of players that get a manager sacked. I'm struggling to to not say something that gets us into trouble, to be quite honest, because that's how strongly I feel about this bunch of lily-livered cowards, which is what they are. You go through that team, they had all played at this level before or in the Premier League when we signed them, one or the other. Some of them had even played for international teams. You know, there is absolutely no excuse. These players were good enough to play in the Premier League or the Championship before they joined us in the main. So you have to look at why these footballers are no longer performing. They don't want it anymore, Adrian. You look at the goals we conceded. Ball came in, a really daft free kick conceded by Carroll. Ball floated in. Our six-foot players, of which there was Ajayi, Carroll, Bartley... I think Clark was the other one, stood. They didn't, they, they ran, they, none of them reached, none of them jumped for it to allow Jerome to convert. Poor, that's terrible. They were second to 50. I mean, I don't know why we even call them 50-50s as far as we're concerned, because we never win any of them. We're second to everything. We're second in terms of intensity. We're second in terms of challenges. We're second to wanting the second ball when, when that's available. We, we're simply folding. I actually thought we came into the game reasonably well after a bit of an iffy start. And, you know, there were times where I thought Luton, you know, presented us with opportunities because of their defending. You know, there was a chance for, for Grant that he, he kind of dinked over the goalkeeper, hit the bar, and he kind of stood there almost admiring it rather than showing the instinct to chase it up and bury it or at least try and, try and win that ball. And that, for me, sums up 
the issues with this team. We've got too many players either living on past glories or simply aren't up to it mentally. And it stinks. It really, really stinks the club out. You see the players peacocking around, looking larger than life before the game when they step off the coach. Listen, lads, you're the worst team we've had for 25 years. Stop thinking you're something you're not and start giving something back to the supporters. Start giving something back to the manager. The guy you wanted sacked has gone. You wanted his mail gone, he's gone. You wanted his predecessors gone, they've gone as well. You've got a new manager, as you wanted, start performing for him. And Steve Bruce is by no means shy of of criticism here either. But I do have some faith that hopefully he is now seeing what the rest of us have been seeing for a long time. And that is that he's got a team full of lily-livered individuals I can't wait to see the back of as and when they do leave. I referred, I think, last time, or maybe it was in one of those Liquidator live broadcasts, to the Dennis Smith era of supporting Albion, where we had one or two half-decent players and always looked as if we were on the brink of the playoffs. And it was like, oh, if we can just get a couple of wins, we'll be in the playoff positions. And we were mostly in Denny Smith's time, where we are now, which is 11th in the championship. So you think, oh, yeah, we're only four points off the playoff, but there are teams above us, of course. So even if the team in sixth seem catchable, then they're also catchable by the teams above us as well. So really, you need to put a streak together of three or four wins to to get into the playoffs. The idea of Albion with three or four matches in a row with this set of players at the moment seems utterly unthinkable. Now, Almost certainly we can't go down. We are 25 points clear of the drop zone with 14 matches to play. If we lost every game between now and the end of the season, we would almost inevitably stay up. But some fans were commenting after the Luton game, blimey, never mind promotion, I hope we're safe this season. If the season had started another five or six weeks later, we would be in relegation trouble. That's how we've mm. bad that's how bad we've been for most of the season. And that's how bad we are. Now, of course, Steve Bruce only inherited this mess and the way the club has been mismanaged meant that he came in after a transfer window had closed. So Bruce hasn't had the chance to bring any of his own players in. And I think we do have to give due acknowledgement to that. So what can Steve Bruce do? Well, his job now is to organised the players tactically. He tried something different because the Blackburn game was so tame. I mean, just such a non-event of a match, the nil-nil against Blackburn. It was like, if that's what football was like, people would not go and watch professional football because it was so dull. It was so boring. The toxicity of the crowd had disappeared, thankfully, now that Ismail has gone and there was a kind of polite welcome to Bruce. But there was none of the thing that gets you out of your seat, which has been a, a, a continuing theme throughout the season. And then he, he tweaks it. He recognises that it isn't working with Carroll and his flick-ons and his nod-downs. Carroll had added a, a quite a decent game against Blackburn. So he tries to play Grant up alongside Carroll. So he, he tweaks the formation. So that's one thing that Bruce can do. The other thing he can do is motivate them, make them think that this club, this badge, this team is worth sweating your nuts off for. Now, tactically, it didn't work. 
And in terms of motivation, it didn't work, which three games into a new manager's career worries me greatly. So I stress I'm not blaming Bruce for the mess that he inherited and I'm not unrealistic enough to expect a five-match winning streak as some kind of Brucey bounce, but his failure to connect with these players early on may well say more about them than it does about him, but it's worrying. It's worrying. It's really weird. You've just reminded me of when uh, many, many years back when Brian Robson was manager and he had a similar issue when he took over. They had one good result at Arsenal and the rest of the time they were really bad. And it was actually his mate, Steve Bruce, who who kind of had a long chat with him. He was at Birmingham at the time. And all of a sudden, a few pennies dropped with Brian Robson about the kind of players and individuals he had in that squad, which he hadn't quite realised at that point. He was still getting to know them. Bruce almost needs that kind of moment, that eureka moment to see some of the individuals around him. I mean, you talk about the, the tactical side and we played three five two, which is, you know, it was different and I wasn't against that. The problem you have is that you've got nowhere to go if your wide players or full-backs, wing-backs are being marked as ours were. The crosses were very deep. They were ineffective. And it sums up the problems we've got. And, you know, I've got some stats here, Adrian, that don't make good reading at all. You know, we won one in 11. We've seven defeats in 10 now. We haven't scored for, in five games. We haven't actually scored any far, first half goals in 12 games and, and only scored two first half goals, which happened to be in the same match in the last 19. So that emphasises and highlights the issues that we've got. And we just look utterly devoid of ideas. I know Bruce tried to change it a little bit, but he's having to learn the hard way that some of these players don't want to play for that our club for whatever reason. Or aren't good enough. So earlier on in this season, after a particularly good performance, I think, against Reading, I was all for Jason Malumbi being given a regular start. Now, that was partly based on not having seen him very much, but seen him in, I think, the Reading game when Livermore from memory was suspended. And he looked good. But he's not good enough. He's really not good enough. He has got a terrific engine, but he's a midfielder who cannot score. And I commented on this much earlier on in the season about Malumbi. He gets himself into good shooting positions. And there was a moment in front of the Brummy Road against Blackburn and a decent midfielder would have had a crack. You're not expecting your midfielders to score 15 or 20 goals a season, but unless they're a defensive midfielder, unless they're a, a Claudio Jacob, you've got to be looking to your midfielders to be getting seven, eight, nine goals if you're going to get promotion. Malumbi scored one goal last season, I think, for Millwall. Never looks like scoring. He's got a good engine, but that makes him a brilliant marathon runner. It doesn't make him a good footballer. And I'm afraid, having seen him now, he isn't good enough for where our club wants to be. He may be good enough for where we are, but he's not good enough for where we want to be. The same with Mowat, who looked very promising early on this season. Where's Mowat now? I mean, Mowat should have been should be the leader in midfield in Livermore's absence. He was anonymous. And when he wasn't anonymous, he was dreadful. And for the life of me, I cannot understand why Taylor Gardner-Hickman is not either getting a start in the games or 
at least coming on at a decisive moment. I felt in the Blackburn game, Bruce was too slow to make the substitutions. He, he did make subs and brought Gardner Hickman on along with uh, Dean Garner, but, but very late in the game for Gardner Hickman. Now, I know there's a lot of calls to throw in the kids, and I know you're against that as a concept, Chris, but Taylor Gardner Hickman has surely got to be starting the next game. Hopefully, he'll be good enough and prove that he's got a big future at West Bromwich Albion. But if we don't find out now, when are we going to find out? I haven't actually said I'm against the kids playing. What I've said is that there has to be some joined up thinking about this. You cannot just write off a season and think, right, we're going to play loads of kids now because that's the next option. You don't do that. And managers aren't going to do that. They're not going to take that gamble. Even at the very top of the game, you know, you will see youngsters brought through and they'll play in moderation, if you like. They won't play or, or commit to five games in a row. They'll have a break and then they'll be brought back in. Now, regarding Taylor Gardner-Hickman, I actually think he should be playing and I'm a little bit disappointed he hasn't been. I think there's a case for Tulloch being involved and I think there's also a case for Caleb Taylor being involved. But then you have a problem and you have a problem because the next tier of players are out on loan in the main, they're on loan at lower league clubs or even at non-league clubs. Now, they're the players that we are hoping will emerge for next season for us and might do a job for us next season. They're not ready this season. The next bracket of players, the third tier, if you like, are those who aren't even good enough to go out on loan yet. So they're the players who are playing in the 23s. So they're not quite good enough to get that loan move to a League Two club or League One club or even a higher-end non-league club. So they're playing in 23s football, which is a world away from the level that we're at. I know people say, well, it's football. If you're good enough, you're good enough. There is a massive, massive difference between that. We wouldn't take a player from non-league and fast-track him into our first team by recommending that we play 23s players. That's effectively what you're doing because that's the level they're at at the moment. They're simply not going to be ready for the rough and grind of the Championship. Now, I think that Taylor Gardner-Hickman definitely should be involved. I'm very disappointed he hasn't been. And I'd like to think that this nonsense that we're seeing of him not being included or being sidelines will end very quickly because he should be in that team. You're right, of course. We can't just throw the kids in. And we saw with the Arsenal game, admittedly against an Arsenal first team, what can happen if you just throw the kids in wholesale. And that does no good for the players' development and it does no good for their confidence. I accept that. But when we look at the group of players who you've mentioned, how many times does Callum Robinson have to not get selected for the first team or get the hook when he does start for him to be considered below Rayhan Tulloch. How many times does Carlin Grant have to fail to impress before Tulloch gets a look in? I said Tulloch should be in and around the squad. I, I yeah. totally agree with that. I mean, I'd be, I'd be giving him a start. Let's yeah, see. Maybe. You know, let's have Grant on the bench. Let's have Phillips when fit on the bench. Let's have Robinson on the bench and show them, because part of the problem has been, and this was a situation with Ismail all season, you had these four seriously underperforming players in Grant, Robinson, Dean Garner and Phillips. One of them has a bad game. 
they get the hook, and then it was basically perm three from those four. And you're mm-hmm. tulloch, and you're thinking, hello, what do I have to do to get a look in? Now, in fairness, mm-hmm. Grant has hit double figures this season. He's not got a bad record on paper. The same with Robinson, who scored a fair number of goals and got a decent number of assists. But when you watch performances over 90 minutes, both of those players have not served Albion well this season. Same goes for Matt Phillips. Same goes for Grady Diangana. Let's give Tullock his head and see what it can do and say to him, you've got a couple of games. You know, we might take you off after 70 minutes, but you're going to start for the next two games. Give it your all. And then we'll see. We'll see where we go. The same with Taylor Gardner-Hitman and the same with Caleb Taylor. I think you're right about other players below that. And it was noticeable in the Brighton Cup game, Reyes Cleary, who I've really been keen to see playing in first-team action. When we played in the FA Cup game against Brighton, he did look a little bit out of his depth. He looked like a kid playing against grown-ups. And I'm sure his time will come, but it, it requires a bit more physical development, as it often does for, yeah. for younger players before they come through. And can I just say, Adrian, you know, this isn't me saying that those players aren't good enough. Far from it. I think both you and I can agree that if we could have 11 players coming out of our youth team into our first team, it, it, that would be the utopia. But these players have to be ready. You cannot just fast-track them for the sake of it. And it's not a binary thing where by saying that you don't think youngsters are ready, you're endorsing the players who are in the shirt. No, far from it. You know, I've made my feelings very clear on that. But there does have to be a consideration here for the overall welfare of some of those young players. Because, yeah, a few of them did play against Arsenal and they were really taught a lesson that night. And, and of course... We're not going to play teams as good as Arsenal at this level. I think the other thing we've got is that this is a really bad league. Luton were terrible and they still managed to beat us. So if we can somehow sort our form out, I'd still fancy us to maybe push for the playoffs. Really? Really? Why wouldn't we? I mean, we're still within grasp of it. You know, we're we're not in this position after 42 games. We've still got many games to go. You know, we're here after where how many games are we into the season? 31, 32, 33 games into the season. So we've still got a quarter of the campaign left. It might seem like the end of the world right now. And we've slid out of those positions very quickly. Well, with a bit of form, we could climb back into them. I suppose my point is that we will not change that form in any significant way without changing the players. I mean, was the true form that Albion have shown this season, the form they showed in those opening five or six games when they had a new manager and were desperate to impress and they had a new way of playing, was that the true West Bromwich Albion or is the true West Bromwich Albion the one that we've seen in the 20-odd games since then? And my money says the true West Bromwich Albion is the one we've seen for most of this season, which is a pretty unimpressive mid-table coasting championship team full of players who, as you say, are living on past glories and need to be shipped off elsewhere. We still have got a little bit of play, by the way, in the transfer market, because although the window has closed, of course, we can sign players who are free agents. So a couple of players have been mentioned in connection with the baggies. Mohamed Diame played more than 300 games in the top two divisions. He's been let go after leaving Al Ali in Qatar. I don't know if that excites you. I think he played with Bruce at Hull. He's a striker. He's 34. 
Jack Wilshire has been named again. I mean, clearly a very experienced English player, sadly injury-prone Jack Wilshire. Or do we just wait for Daryl DK to come back and fingers crossed that that will reignite the season? I think the danger with players like that, the two you mentioned, is that they're going to take a while to get back up to speed, even if they've kept on top of their fitness and worked out and done all the right things they're going to be a long way from being match sharp, probably about a month away, two, three weeks away at the very least. So you end up still missing a few games before they're quite fit enough to to be near first team contention. Of course, the games are slipping away quickly and it's not an ideal option. I think if we could improve it, I mean, the first player you mentioned... Diarmi. Yeah, he, he does intrigue me a little bit because, you know, he's got a pass with Bruce, he's... He's a striker, and my God, do we need a striker right now? Wilshire, uh, if you could guarantee that he would be fit for at least three quarters of our remaining games, then maybe you'd consider it. But I've seen no evidence that he would be. No, and I'm with you. I think uh, very rare that you pick up gems in that out-of-transfer window period. Often they're players who are on the way down. They may have had serious injury problems in their career or they've been let go because they're just not fast enough or physically strong enough anymore. I'd be very wary. My test for Steve Bruce now, Chris, and you and I are probably at a slight variance in our degree of warmth towards Steve Bruce. I think of him as being a very conservative manager with a small C. I'm not making a political point here. I think despite his comment that Albion's performance was not acceptable, I don't think he'll make significant changes for the game against Borough. That's just based on my assessment of Steve Bruce as a man and a manager over many years. After that kind of performance, you can do one of two things, can't you? You can say, right, you've had your chances and you can look at the league table, so none of you can come and complain to me if you're not starting. Here are the changes. And you can bring in those three young players that we think might be ready for first-team action. Rayhan Tulloch, Taylor Gardner-Hickman and Caleb Taylor. That, to me, would be bold. It would send out a message to the established players that you cannot be comfortable in your places in this team. Or you can tinker, and you can make one change, maybe two, or shuffle the pack of the existing players. My hunch is that Bruce will do the latter. So if I'm proved wrong against Borough, and we end up losing to Borough, which I expect us to do anyway, I'll say, fine, we we gave it a go. But you know that old cliche that the, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing again and again, even when it doesn't work. Simply shuffling this pack of established players doesn't work and it would be the definition of stupidity in my book if we simply persist with the same people we've got to change the personnel and he may not have loads of options at his disposal but he does have some and I think he should use them you need to think about who he plays up alongside Carroll because none of the obvious contenders certainly not Grant on that performance certainly not Dan Garner certainly not Phillips even if he were fit none of those are people who play off a central striker. Robinson, maybe, but Robinson has been so unreliable this season that I'd be tempted to give Tullock a run alongside him. I really would. I think the problem with Robinson is when he's got the ball, he's actually decent. It's when he's off the ball and doesn't have the ball, he offers you next to nothing. 
But he's only he's only sometimes decent on the ball as well. Though some of his passing, yeah, some of yeah, his passing yeah. is atrocious. You know, if if you put together a highlights package of Robinson's best bits this season, you'd say, why isn't that guy playing in the Premier League? <laughs> you put together a package oh, yeah. of his worst stuff, and you think you'd be looking to be scraping a living as a professional footballer. His his, his quality levels are so variable, really massively inconsistent. That's the real frustration. These are all elite footballers, even though we don't think they are. They are all elite footballers who don't appear like they want to be anymore and or wish to be. Dean Garner's an interesting one, not as a central striker, but I think certainly he should be... I'd like to think he'll be under consideration to play on the left. I'm a little bit uncomfortable about saying, well, he's played on the right, it's not his best position... Again, he's an elite footballer. He should be able to adapt. Chris Brunt played on the left wing, right wing, left back, central midfield. He wasn't a particularly technically superb player, but he did it because he quite fancied playing in the Premier League because he knew he was good enough to play in the Premier League if he did what the managers told him to do. And he made a very, very good living and a good career from doing so. Dean Garner's at that stage of his career where maybe he needs to do that, but... Equally, I can see wider calls for him to play on the left because that's where he's been at his best, albeit two years ago. The one thing I will say, Adrian, is that we play Middlesbrough on the Tuesday, having played on the Saturday. I don't think there'll be many changes for the game at the Riverside. I think it'll be the game after that Swansea, which is on the Monday. We've got a good six, five, six days to prepare for that. I would like to think that's where we will see signs of Steve Bruce nailing what he thinks is a team to take us forward because Middlesbrough does come very soon. There won't be much time to prepare for that. I take that point, actually. For for all my hot-headed desire for change and change now and clean out the stables, I recognise that. I mean, basically, they'll have had the Sunday off and then it will be a training day on Monday and then travel up to Borough on Tuesday. So with perhaps a light training session. So I recognise that. But if it goes the same way again, and I expect, I fear that it will, then we've got to be looking at radical changes against Swansea because it's unacceptable. I mean, it, 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 there is such a such an anger amongst Albion fans. I mean, you do have to go back to that to the hideous summer that we had didn't we when we recruited Ismail clearly in retrospect a massive error Ismail because we had no proper director of football following the departure of Luke Dowling he was given it seems to me free reign in terms of signings he didn't have a lot of money but the signings that we made were down to Ismail so he was who signed Mowat he was who signed Malumbi he was who signed Matt Clark, although, you know, Matt Clark, I think, is a player who could very well be a, a decent championship centre-half. I've not, I certainly haven't given up on Matt Clark. But it had Ismail's stamp on it, what we did in the summer. Now, what Ismail did was happily let Pereira go. I don't think he would have played Pereira. It certainly wouldn't have played him to his best had he been available, but didn't replace him with any kind of craft in midfield. Now... That is something that we are paying for now. The lack of craft, the lack of a playmaker of any real description in midfield. And that comes down to the chaos at the club. And we said, didn't we, that the club lacked footballing nous and that 
because we didn't have a technical director once Dowling had gone, it meant that the only players we got were Ismail's. So when Ismail goes, then a new manager has to come in and bring in a new set of players who suits his style of play, especially if it's different to Ismail's style of play. So we're not being clever after the event. We identified this. And of course, Bruce came in after the transfer window when it was too late to do that. So hopefully in, in a longer term way, the fact that Ron Goulet is there now, the fact that Lai, the controlling shareholder, is now much more actively involved, that will go towards plugging that gap in terms of football knowledge at the club and, and concern and care for the club. But in the summer, that was absence. And we are paying the price for that now. And Steve Bruce is paying the price for that now. Yeah. And I said a while ago that our recruitment has been abysmal. You know, only a few years ago, we were bringing in people like Robert Corrin, Jonas Olsen, Fortune, Dorans, Jakob, all under the radar. Malumbu, Oh, you, you could go on. You know, we, we were bringing in players under the radar that was simply a result of us doing our background, not only not only looking into the technical ability of footballers, not even looking into their attributes, but trying to find out whether these individuals would adapt to English football, adapt to English lifestyles, be able to settle in a new environment. I know Dorans came down from Scotland, but you get my point about the others who came from overseas. And making sure that they were the right fit for the club. You look at the signings we made in the summer, and it feels like we, we basically went down a list of players that are available on loan from Premier League clubs or from championship clubs, and or we looked at free transfers. It's uninspiring. There's no hard work involved there. It's a very, very restrictive ring fence process that inevitably is uninspiring and, and produces the kind of results that we've got now. I mean, many years ago when we had Gary Megson, people used to laugh at him and mock him. And even his own chairman wanted to change the scouting system because he felt it was inadequate. And yet Gary brought in Derek McInnes, who took a massive pay cut from Toulouse to come and join us. He brought in Michael Appleton. He brought in players who he knew were on the up, players who were going to improve. Who's going to improve in our team that we've brought in? DK, at a push, maybe? Yeah, DK, the great hope, really, isn't it? But, but most of the other players have gone backwards in their time at the Hawthorns. Maybe Townsend has done yeah. well. And, and, you know, I know he's not had the best season, but Furlong has just reached 100 games for us. And I can see why people are calling for him to be dropped of late. But to achieve 100 games for us is, is, is some achievement as well. So credit for him for that. But... Again, have they really improved that massively? I'd say Townsend probably has. I don't think anyone in that team has improved over the last 12 months, actually. Johnston apart, and he's a goalkeeper, so a more specialised position. But I don't think anyone else has, apart from the the youngsters that we've identified, like Taylor Gordon-Hitman, Tulloch and Caleb Taylor, who actually, just for the very reason that Caleb Taylor being picked by Steve Bruce would be a really good trivia question in the future. I hope that one happens. <laughs> Are you going to say why? Are you going to say why? Well, yeah, why? Is it because Caleb Taylor is the son of a player who Bruce managed at another club? 
Birmingham, yeah, Martin Taylor, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which you know that 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 was this week's trivia question that isn't anymore. But um, oh, sorry, my point is to <laughs> apart from apart from that little cluster of young players who have clearly made progress to progress into our first team picture, only Townsend in terms of outfield players has shown any kind of progress in the last 12 months and even Townsend I think has had a few patchy games over the last few weeks oh yeah well Townsend's been in and out as all the team have I mean but overall you can say in the last couple of years he has improved Furlong at times has improved though he's had a poor season this time Johnson has improved in his time at Albion I would say but uh, really you're looking at DK a ridiculous level of expectation on his shoulders now what do you think about a new trivia question now that I've ruined that one I've got one, don't worry. Also, oh, well, I was going to say, you know, full of moans and groans though we are, don't forget, there's always somebody worse off than you. And if you can support the Smethic Food Bank, which provides food and toiletries and basic supplies to some of the most hard-up people in the community closest to the Hawthorns, please do so. You can find out what they need at the moment because the range of foodstuffs that is needed does change from week to week and month to month. Go and have a look at their website, smethic.foodbank.org.uk. That'll also tell you where you can drop off food at various local supermarkets. And I think they're looking for volunteers as well. So do help them out. They're good people doing great work. Smethic.foodbank.org.uk. Before we get to trivia, I just wanted to reflect on comments made by Sam Allardyce. He made a, mm. gave an interview for a, a betting company in which he said that it was bizarre that Albion had spent £2 million signing Valerian Ismail, having previously said that they weren't going to pay money to sign a new manager. And he suggested that if the £2 million had been made available to him as manager, that he might have considered staying, because the implication being that he was told there was no budget. And then suddenly the club finds £2 million quid. So Allardyce saying that if they'd just given him the job, then they could have saved themselves the £2 million quid, put that into team building, and hey-ho, Albion might be in a, a much better place with our friend Big Sam at their helm. Yeah, I mean, I think he's bang on about the comments about Ismail going out and spending £2 million on that project. We all know it was doomed. Would £2 million to spend have changed Sam Allardyce's mind? A guy who likes to spend millions and wheel and deal? I don't think so. I think it's um, very wishful thinking and and maybe more so the ramblings of a man who is looking for a job at the moment. And of course, Sam Allardyce is very good friends with Steve Bruce. And I dare say an element of that interview was maybe designed to take a little bit of heat from his good pal who's just been appointed. Yeah, I mean, there's not much heat on Bruce at the moment, but one thing that did emerge after the game, Josh Bland, who is a, a blogger and sometimes in touch with us on the podcast, said that an Albion fan at, at the game at Bluton had threatened to stab him yesterday and had pushed him down the stairs. And there's been quite a conversation on social media about the declining behaviour of Albion fans, particularly at away matches. Now, you and I don't go to every away game, but when I went to Preston away this season, although most people were in great heart and treated it as an excellent opportunity to just 
have, have some good beers in some wonderful pubs and support the team. There were some individuals around that match, not in the stadium, but in transit on the train, around and about, oh, I thought, if you're Albion fans, and they were, I don't, I don't want to be associated with you. And it's difficult. You know, in any group of people, in thousands of people, there are bound to be people who you don't get on with or you don't like or who don't share the same values as you. I get that. But this is something beyond that. So from my own personal observation, there have been people I've been around this season travelling away to see the baggies. And Josh made this point, and, and we've reflected on it before as well after previous away games. You know, Albion fans are no angels. We, we, we shouldn't have any illusions about our fan base compared to any other fan base. But it does trouble me to hear fellow fans threatening to stab other Albion fans, even if it's just, you know, people giving it the big I am in a football crowd. People also making comments about racist language being used by Albion fans or one Albion fan in the Luton end. And I just hope Albion are sensitive to this as a football club. And I think as a club, we ought to be doing more. We ought to be going over and above what just leaving it to the police. I think maybe we need to think about putting our own stewards into our own away sections and making a proactive effort to stop people who are threatening violence, to stop people who are racist, spoiling the fun of other people and ruining the reputation of our football club. Both of these things matter greatly to me. Yeah, and, and quite rightly. And I mean, it's appalling. And I wasn't aware of that until you just mentioned it. I saw somebody yesterday say, who's to blame for this mess? And the first response was that French, and he used the T word, twat. And you think, if your first instinct is to look at somebody's race or their nationality when you're criticising them, then you've got a major problem. And and I don't want you anywhere near our football club, to be honest. And, you know, I hope that whoever made those comments to Josh is is found and, and dealt with, apprehended, and hopefully again also goes nowhere near our club again because we don't need people like that. We don't need racists at the club or xenophobes or anything like that. It's bad enough that the 90 minutes is often probably not enjoyable. So the rest of the day should at least be enjoyable. And if you're getting threatened and having to hear racist crap or being threatened by your own supporters, then there's a real issue there. And it's not just Albion fans, it's happening at other stages as well. But you know, it is happening at ours as well. So Yeah, and I can't I can't influence what happens at another stadium. That's exactly the point I was about to make before you yeah. interrupted me. It was, um, <laughs> again, it's a problem we have to own as well. You know, yeah. we can't just say it happens throughout football. It's happening on our on our turf, it's happening at our game. So something has to be done. The, the maybe the club, the assembly, which is active again, maybe they need to to speak to the police and sort out and and trying to come to an arrangement whereby these matters are policed in a more strident, vibrant way. Because at the moment, it seems there's a lot of people getting away with a lot of stuff right now, and that's not good. Yeah, yeah. Well, look. If you see people behaving in a racist manner, if you see people behaving in an aggressive manner, you don't have to be brave. You don't have to be the person who challenges them directly. Make a note of their seat number, make a note of their row number and contact the football club. And if you think it goes beyond just misbehaviour into illegal behaviour, let the police know. But 
these people have no place at West Bromwich Albion. If you're threatening other fans with violence, if you're voicing racist opinions, you have no place supporting our great football club. Let's do the trivia question now, Chris. Now, last week's, I should tell you, loads of people got it. Loads of people got the trivia question. Just remind us of it again. It was a Who Am I? And I I named the three permanent clubs of a player who played for West Brom. Started his career at Bristol City, moved to Birmingham City and joined us where he played most of his games. Loads of people got this right. Luke Alton says it had me stumped all week. I gave up, he said, but revisited again this morning while up with my two-year-old boy. He said initially two players came to mind with strong roots to Bristol. Super Bob, he started his career there, and Andy Johnson, who was a Bristolian. I quickly discounted them, however, as neither played for Blues and Johnston never played for Bristol City. So running through a list of players from the 90s on Wikipedia, I came across a certain Captain Marden, Paul Marden. A Bristolian started at Bristol City and went to Blues, then on to Albion for 400 grand, which was a lot of money for us in 1993. But worth every penny, says Luke. He was a brilliant centre-back, enjoying his best spell of his career with us. Blighted by injuries, he would surely have been a regular Welsh international and played for one of the big six. I believe he now runs a furniture shop in Dorridge. Captain Martin, we salute you, says Luke. Now, I'm not normally very good at your trivia quizzes, but your Who Am I's I find a little bit easier. I got Captain Martin as well, as did Martin Pope, Dave Henderson, Mark Wilson, and quite a few other people as well. So it is Paul Martin, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah. Good, good. We like, we like them as long as they're, you know, they're not too hard, actually, these Who Am I's. What you got for me then, <laughs> now that I'm ruined this week? A real tough one now. Nah, <laughs> come on, bring it on, bring it on. Bring, bring out the best you've got. Come on. Going back right into our archives. Um, on, who please. scored our last first half goal? <laughs> Look, I know I'm old, but I can't remember that far back, mate. <laughs> yeah. This, of course, is recording before Middlesbrough. Not that I suspect that will make any difference. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who scored? It was the last player to score a first half goal for Albion. Had floodlights been invented at that stage in football? Uh, before we go, just a reminder that you can still get your fantastic Liquidator Podcast mugs and your Liquidator Podcast T-shirts. Just put Liquidator Podcast mug into a search engine or Liquidator Podcast T-shirt, and that will bring you up to the right page where you can order them. And all the money raised just helps us to keep the podcast running, various hosting fees and so on. And also, I would urge you, I know not everybody's on social media, not everybody's on Twitter, but please go onto Twitter if you can and follow us at Liquidator p1 the liquidator p1 because that's where we're doing our live sessions after matches effectively a post-match phone-in you don't have to share space with dingles or villa fans or blue supporters it's a hundred percent albion and we will be doing one after the middlesbrough game as well getting your immediate reaction on the whistle and people say to us can i listen back to it no you've got to listen to it live but we had hundreds of people after the luton game and i try and get as many callers on as I possibly can in the hour that we do it. So follow the Liquidator P1 on Twitter. And if you do that, once we go live, all you do is click to listen. And if you're listening on your phone or on your mobile app, you can also request to chip in and have your say as well. It's an amazing little bit of technology. And it means that effectively you've got your own 
Albion live phoning after matches and whenever else we uh, we see fit. So uh, we'll be back again in a week's time. I think we should say, though, Chris, we're going to come back after the Swansea game. That's a Monday night game, so it makes sense, doesn't it, to come back after the Swansea game and uh, reflect on both Swansea and Borough in our next podcast. Sounds good to me. Okay, mate. Take care. See you soon. Cheers.